0: Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on important education issues of the day a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny and I'll be your host this morning for for uh, this edition. Today we will uh, obviously be taking your calls, and we will have the chat room open. To let you know how this works, I will ask Christy to give an overview.
2: Hi, good morning, everybody. Now, if you want to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. And if you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, just push the button number one on your phone. That will indicate that you have something to say. I'll get your name and your question or topic, and we will put you on the air. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass on some of your comments or questions to our speakers. To log into the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio.
0: Thanks, Christy. Uh, this past Tuesday, Governor Christie gave a state. Budget address, and unlike past budget addresses, the revenue forecasts were a bit rosier, so rosy that Governor Christie believes that he can increase spending without raising taxes. In fact, he believes he can lower taxes in um, in education. Governor Christie wants to increase funding by two hundred and thirteen million for public education. though it should be noted that uh not all districts will be affected the same way. Uh, how that's going to be affected at the time of this show, we do not have the individual numbers. Uh, I would also like to point out that Governor Christie, as he first pointed out in the state-of-state address, wants to push his education reform agenda, uh, and that means programs like the Opportunity Scholarship Act and tenure reform, two issues that we'll discuss later. I am very pleased to have with us this morning two individuals who I know listen to the budget address and the state-of-state with discerning ears. They are two indi- indi- individuals who represent the two education associations well in the State House and have a good pulse for what may or may not happen in the upcoming months. They are the Director of Government Relations at NJA, Ginger Goldschnitzer. Welcome, Ginger.
1: Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me
0: on. Oh, our pleasure. And NJSB's own Director of Governmental Relations, uh, Mike Brancic. Welcome, Mike. Good morning, Ray. Great to have both of you here. Let's start on the our thoughts on the governor's budget address. I'll go to you, Mike. Um, he's, uh, at least from what I'm looking at, he's pretty optimistic that the, there's going to be a lot of growth in the revenue. Where is that growth coming from?
2: That, that's a good question. <laughs> um, it, it, right now, he's, he's showing a, a significant increase in, in revenue from the gross income tax, whether that will actually occur we won't know until sometime in April when when the, the actual tax returns are due. Most people who owe money, which is generating the revenue for the state, don't make their payments until they have to, which is typically in, in late March and early April. So generally we have a, a better sense of what the revenue numbers look like when we actually have the collection data in, and that's probably sometime about six to eight weeks from now.
0: And if I read correctly, it looks like, Uh, he's actually looking for revenue increase almost across the board in in most of the revenue tax areas. Yeah, he
2: is. And and like I said, uh, they have their own research economist in the division of taxation, and they've made some assumptions here about, about where the economy is going. And um, I'm looking at some of the information he distributed. Um, Basically the, 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 Key revenues are the income, the sales tax, corporation business tax. He shows income taxes up by 6.3 percent, sales tax is up 4.7 percent, corporation business tax is up uh, almost um, 11 percent. The 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 net increase for for the for the major revenue categories is is 7.3 percent projected into next year. So I mean, is that going to materialize? Uh, we can only hope. Uh,
0: Ginger. Governor Christie has uh criticized past governors for being too rosy uh in their projections and revenue uh has he fallen into the same trap from your perspective, or are you just going to take him at his word?
1: You know what time will tell i'm i'm not uh I don't have my crystal ball in front of me I'm not great at projecting revenues. I would certainly defer to Mike's expertise on that matter but um you know it's interesting the timing of when he's b- making this leap of faith, if you will, about increased revenues. I mean I guess we're starting to see um some comeback in the economy. Uh the question is is will it really be sustained and how will these these tax cuts be paid for in the event that it doesn't happen? Or what will he have to cut to make up for the fact that revenue doesn't come in as strong
0: uh if necessary. And uh Mike, he's making his revenue projections with the ten percent with the sales tax I mean uh, income tax decrease uh decrease too right
2: yeah I, the, the the basis of his budget proposal assumes that a 10 percent cut in the income tax would be phased in over three years so the value next year of the reduction in 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 revenues is about 345 million dollars if revenues grow to the tune of he's he's posting an increase in next year over this year of about seven hundred and five million dollars, according to his budget chart and that's that's after the the the, the reduction of one third so um he's talking about a billion dollar increase in essentially in in income tax revenues and you have to remember that a big portion of our income tax revenues come from capital gains and dividends so the 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 big indicator right now is is, is in part job growth but also uh, what's happening on, on the stock market. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so volatile that um if if things that are out of everybody's control, international things, change that, that impact the market negatively, uh some of these, these increases would probably have to be adjusted. Um the, the the money that comes in from the state income tax goes directly into something called the property tax relief fund, which is the lion's share, the mainstay of money that goes to public education. So if, if in fact there, these revenues don't materialize, it, it, it brings into question whether we can sustain the increases he's projected for school aid next year.
0: Uh, Ginger, the governor uh, made a point that uh, two points: one, that he's increasing uh, aid to public education by 213 million. How that's distributed, uh, we can only guess at this point. Um, but he also made the point that it's the hot, we're spending more on public education now than ever before. Is that? Uh, accurate from your perspective
1: uh i guess that that you could look at it that way but let's remember that the governor the governor has attempted to starve schools in the first part of his term through dramatic decreases in aid, like $1.3 billion when he first came into office, and then he coupled that with a tight property tax cap. So I think that one of the arguments the governor made when he came into office was that the reason that you know, it was such a large decrease is because there was a federal component, there was federal funding that he wasn't going to make up at the state level. So, um, sure, uh, numbers are funny things, and you could look at it. He, he could make an argument that... This is the highest amount of state aid I think that you can argue that given the dramatic cuts in the tight property tax cap That it's not enough Um, I've learned not to look a gift horse in the mouth I'm certain that any additional funding will benefit our students and our schools Because many of them have really been hurting these last couple of years To them it won't even matter that the governor went to court to avoid having to provide uh, A lot of this money to to urban schools
0: Mm -hmm. There's also a possibility though that uh, I assume that some districts will not get an increase I'm not even sure. Do you think anyone would ever get a decrease because he's doing a formula-based or some type of formula? Yeah,
1: I've heard. I mean, I don't know. Rumor has it that there'll be like two-thirds of the districts will be winners and one-third losers. But as I said, that's just the rumor that I heard around the state house.
0: So, uh, Mike, from our NJSBA's perspective, uh, what would be a really good formula? Obviously, one that gives everyone more money. But uh, any, you know, what would be a concern of us uh, in this new uh, aid?
2: I guess the, 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 there's a couple things. If, if in fact they they do a formula based allocation, it assumes that they'll that they'll factor in enrollment because the the fundamental component of the funding formula is a per pupil calculation that that drives the numbers that individual districts receive from the state and aid. And it, to the extent that they haven't used enrollment in the calculations for the last several years, districts that see uh, dramatic fluctuations in enrollment will will be beneficiaries or, or losers. And for those districts who assume that that there would be a continuation of the method that's been employed for the last half dozen years, um, it, it could create some short-term difficulties because they're going to have to figure out what they're not going to be able to do because the last time they ran a formula with enrollment, there wasn't a 2% restrictive levy cap. So if there were significant hits at the local district level, they could make up money by raising their mm-hmm. their local property tax levy. This is going to be a different game this
0: go-round. Uh, we're talking with Mike Mastic, Director of GR with NJSBA and Ginger Goldschitzer, uh, Director of Government Relations at NJEA. If you want to call and ask a question, dial one and press 1 to let us know that you have a question. Um So that's conjecture. What's going to happen to the individual districts? Uh, There's going to be a budget battle. Will Ginger will? He pretty much the budget is it pretty much set with as is? Is there going to be a lot of negotiation on this?
1: Well, I think there's always a lot of negotiation in the budgets on the budget, and I think that the Democrats are um, are very willing to. To, to to fight for things, for changes that they believe need to be made to this budget. They certainly came out with strong statements right after his address. So I don't think that, that it's going to look exactly like this. But, you know, I mean, let's face it, the governor has a pretty good track record of getting a good deal of what he wants. So that should
0: make the spring very interesting for us all. Mike, what about you? Do, will the numbers uh, stay about the same?
2: It, it, it really depends on what, what the revenues turn out to be. If, if we can assume that, that the... the, the Formula calculations that the the economists, the research economists, use are are reasonable. Um, then, yeah, I think I think the the budget will be fairly similar. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Paul Saro was interviewed last night on NJ Today, and uh, he said categorically that they that the Democrats would not push for any new taxes in this next cycle. So, the the numbers that that are the revenue numbers aren't going to be tweaked by any proposed increases in, in 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 tax revenues like they did in the last several years, where they proposed an increase in the in the uh, surcharge on people with incomes above four hundred and fifty thousand right. dollars. So um, a lot a lot of discussion is going to be driven by what really materializes in terms of of cash in, in these major revenue accounts. I think that um, for the most part this is a hard budget to argue with in the sense that it does provide additional aid for public schools. I mean, from our vantage point, we would like to get back to where we were um, at, at the beginning of SFRA in terms of the net total amount for, for school aid. But um, it's hard to say no to more money, even if it's not as much as you, you, you ultimately
0: want to have. Uh, Ginger, uh, before I move on to Oh, Ray, you're breaking cut. up a little bit Okay, I'm sorry um, Oh, there you go, thank you Yeah, you're good <clears throat> uh, The governor is proposing an income tax uh, cut Do you think that has any chance? It seems like Democrats were pretty adamant on that
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, it was a political win for the governor I, I, You know, if he gets it, then he delivers an income tax cut And if he doesn't get it he can say that the democrats uh stood in the way of people's property tax relief. So I don't think that there was any harm for him in proposing it. Um the democrats will have uh will have already started to stake out some ground on this. And uh, I think this is a I think this one's close to call. I think this one is close to call. I think you have some pretty I think the democrats have put themselves pretty far out there. Um so uh they'll give him a run for the money on it.
0: Mike, do you think the any tax stuff cut-
2: I I think – I I agree with Ginger, but I think, once again, you know, in the last 10 years, the governor points out property taxes have gone up 70%. Um, But in years when the school funding formula was funded fully, property taxes didn't go up hardly at all Um, to the extent that that the revenues materialize – uh I think the Democrats would be hard pressed not to go along with it with the with with the income tax cut. But I think that the point that they're gonna make all along is that the, the amount that the average family is gonna is gonna get from a ten percent reduction is is not nearly as much as as it would appear to be.
1: I agree with Mike it's gonna definitely be about uh fairness and everybody's looking toward the twenty thirteen election I think the Democrats are going to be driving home that fairness argument that this is not nearly as beneficial to middle-class families as it is to millionaires.
2: Yeah, and that was that, pretty evident. Yeah. Everything everything heretofore is has been based on some some perception that things need to be progressive and people need to contribute based on their ability to contribute. This income tax cut is almost the exact opposite of that. Um the the more you pay in, the more you get you get back, um, and, and and obviously that makes sense. But from the vantage point of of real tax relief, if if according to some of the numbers I I've read, the people who 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 are close to the median income in New Jersey probably pay somewhere in the vicinity of uh, an amount that would get, generate probably eighty dollars. In 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 terms of a, a, a net income tax reduction. I mean I I'd take eighty dollars if somebody gave it to me, but I'm not gonna go out and buy a new car with that or or do massive renovations to my home. I'm not gonna plan a big family vacation. So I mean in perspective, eighty dollars is, is 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 money, but it's not it's not money that I, I think is gonna turn the
0: state's economy around. Um okay we'll be switching gears. Uh Ginger, uh I, I can't let this pass, but the governor didn't offer the NJA an olive branch. He took a little jab at the at your association with the life is not fair quote. Uh, how did – what do you think of that?
1: You know, this <laughs> sort of dog bites man at this point. This is hardly the first time the governor has singled out NJA and its leadership in a major public address, and I'm, I'm sure it's not going to be the last. The governor – The governor acts as though taking a jab at NJEA in a public address is an acceptable substitute for a serious policy discussion with us about issues, issues that educators, parents, students, and communities care about a lot. And he's wrong about that. It's not a substitute. Sound bites and YouTube moments don't provide solutions to real challenges that we should be discussing, you know, things like how do we overcome the impact that abject poverty has on student achievement. How can mentoring and professional development be used more effectively to improve teacher quality? How do we get more parents involved in their own kids' education? And regardless of whether the governor chooses to speak with us about these issues directly or just in sound bites, NJA has been and remains committed to addressing them. I mean, that's why we funded the Education Law Center, which fought for decades to put in reforms that work for urban kids, like early childhood education and early literacy and after-school programs and tutors and family involvement. That's why NJA put $2 million into creating the New Jersey Center for Teaching and Learning, which is just now an internationally renowned laboratory for teaching science and math. I mean, we've helped kids in Newark, Patterson, Jersey City outperformed the best students in this state in AP Physics with that program. And now, we're right now working with schools in 12 low-income districts through our Priority Schools Program. Twelve schools are being selected as we speak, and NJA is going to pour resources, staffing, creativity and effort into building stronger connections between those schools and their surrounding communities so their communities can more effectively advocate for those schools. So, you know, while NJA has been working to improve conditions in urban schools, the governor cut school spending by 1.3 billion in his first year. Urban districts were the hardest hit. And then about a year ago, he and his lawyers went to the Supreme Court to argue that the cuts didn't violate the formula. He lost. And um and so, you know, I I, I so as I said, it's it's dog bites it's dog bites man. NJEA has staff and members working every day in the most challenging environments in New Jersey, from Camden to Patterson to Trenton, working hard with the students there. Who are and the student, those students are facing some tall odds because of poverty. And what has Christie done? He's basically seized on one phrase in an interview that our executive director did and tried to create an entire misinformation campaign around it. I think, okay. I think the reason is to distract from his record.
0: So I guess I'm not going to take this as an olive branch from you either. Um, Let's move on to some other issues because he did – in his budget address, he still is harping the same – beating the same drum on education reform and a lot of the same issues that he did last year. Um, One of them he says he wants the Opportunity Scholarship Act. Um, And I know the two associations are probably pretty close on their views on this – on that and also on charter schools. Uh, Mike, uh, where is the Opportunity Scholarship Act now? I mean, it's, there's been so many versions, like I lose track. I, I'm not even
2: sure that, that a version of that has been
0: introduced yet in this session. Um, no, it hasn't been
2: introduced just yet. Yeah. At, at the end of the last session, there was a lot of discussion about making some modifications in terms of reducing the size of the pilot, et cetera. And then along came the Urban Hope Act, and that seemed to take center stage. And as everybody knows, that was passed at the end of the lame duck session. Um, The Opportunity Scholarship Act is is problematic for us for a couple of reasons. Um, In in the context of this discussion about revenues, the state doesn't generate enough revenue now to cover the cost uh, in in income tax to cover the cost of education and the other property tax relief programs. So they need to augment that, that. that spending with money from other revenue sources the the opportunity scholarship Act would take away corporation business tax money and put it into a a special fund which ostensibly would reduce educational costs in local districts by by reducing the number of students who attended schools in those districts but i I think the devil's in the details and to say categorically that it's going to it's going to Relieve the, the cost of, of of educating kids in some districts it isn't isn't clearly accurate. Um, the other big issue we have with that is that a subset in in the, in the last iteration of the Opportunity Scholarship Act, the subset of the money that was made available for for students who are eligible for scholarships would take money that would otherwise go into public education and, and put it into private schools. And and we're adamantly opposed to the concept from the vantage point that. The day after, the school aid formula, whatever formula you want to talk about, is fully funded, and districts get exactly what the law says they should get. If there's additional resources available to provide subsidies to private schools, we wouldn't wouldn't be opposed to that, but we want the the public schools fully funded first before we see money diverted to private schools.
0: Ginger, uh, your association's thoughts on the Opportunity Scholarship Act?
2: Yeah, I would agree with
1: I would agree with what Mike said about the mechanics of the bill and its you know potential or their their, their alleged savings. I would add that accountability is a huge factor for right. us. Um, the money would be flowing to these private and these private schools, and yet the children who sit in the chairs in those private schools, aren't subject to the same uh, testing. Their teachers are not required to be certified. Um, we have no way the money would go there whether or not these particular schools have any experience or any uh, proven success in educating children um, facing the challenges that, that that would be attending as a result of, of this act. The other The other troubling part of the bill last time around is that there was a whole – um, 25% of the money was set aside for children already attending private schools. So uh, if the purpose of the bill was to quote-unquote take children out of failing public schools and put them in private schools, it was really going to fund 25% of the money was going to fund children who were already sitting mm-hmm. in private schools. Uh, accountability was a is a huge factor
0: for us. Um despite both uh, associations opposing this and probably would oppose it in almost any variation um it seems to me that it each year it gets a little bit closer each session uh do you think they'll uh ginger do you think they'll try to make changes to it that, so that it somehow gets passed in some even if it's a mild version of a, a voucher bill
1: I've heard that they're going to be scaling it down significantly and going back to sort of where they came from with a smaller number of districts. Uh, I, But I think that a lot has happened since the a few months ago when this, these bills were being considered in committee. Um, the Urban Hope Act uh, was signed into law. Uh, there was legislation signed into law that would allow for the conversion of, private, of high-performing private schools into public charter schools. No one can say anymore that children in in urban districts even ha- don't have choices or options. Um, we, have, we have charter schools. We have interdistrict public school choice. We have intra-district public school choice programs like vocational schools and magnet schools. We're going to have renaissance schools, uh, renaissance school projects through the Urban Hope Act in three communities. Um, and we have the ability for private schools to convert to public charters. So at what point is this about about choice? Um, really, and what and, mm-hmm. and and to what extent is it really about you know providing some additional money to folks who are sending their kids to private schools at public expense?
0: Mike, uh, I, don't, do you I,
1: think... I, I don't know if that answers the question about, about no. the chances, but I would say that with given all of the all of the, the legislation that's passed in the last few months, I think that wounds some of the biggest arguments in favor of the opportunity scholarship, and so uh, it may handicap it a bit.
0: Okay, Mike, what about you? Uh, I know. The assembly might be the house where it has the harder chance of passing through. I,
2: I, you know, I think I think there's a perception out there that that there's a subset of kids in urban districts who who want educational alternatives, and this appears to create a, a, another viable alternative. Um, you know, I think it's 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 something to be cautious with because um, this idea essentially of, of This essentially is a kind of a voucher program, and and you know I mean at at some point there seems to be places around the country where where that's a, a popular item now. But but putting putting money in the hands of individual students or their parents and giving them the opportunity to go to the schools that they want assumes that there are going to be schools that they can get to that they want to get to with the amount of money that the voucher provides. Um, I think that's a a quantum leap, and I'm not sure that that it it will actually play out the way it's it's designed to play out. But notwithstanding that, I think there's a continuum now of of, of education. Public schools are at one end of the continuum, and I guess some form of a charter school is at the other end. And all all these discussions are somewhere on on that continuum line, and I think that – the legislature in that context is interested in 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 doing some limited experiments to see if any of these things provide a a, a reasonable option uh, one of the discussions that it doesn't ever come to the forefront um at least not that often is is, is the component of of public safety a lot of kids who who want to go to charter schools as opposed to public schools uh, often say or their parents say they're afraid to send their kids to the schools because they don't feel safe there um i'm sure the teaching staff in those schools don't feel safe often either i think i think there are, there's a there's a subset of issues that need to be unbundled in this discussion and focused on in the context of the things that ginger talked about in terms of accountability H- how's the money actually going to be allocated and and what are these these new schools going to provide and if, if if in fact, any of them work very well, what can the public school system learn from them? Um, I, these are all questions that are speculative, and I think people want to know answers, but until you try something, you're not going to find out any of this stuff.
0: Uh, we're talking with uh, Ginger Gold-Schnitzer from NJEA and Mike Vrancic from NJSBA. If you want to call in and ask a question, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press 1, and we'll get you on the switchboard. Um, I, I heard Senator Sweeney and the Senator Tom Kane say that there's going to be some movement in charter school, looking at the entire charter school authorization process. And, uh, is that something that you believe will definitely happen, Ginger?
1: I think that the charter school law is likely to be uh, to be revamped a bit.
0: I mean, we saw the assembly pass the
1: whole package of charter school bills last spring, um, and I, I, you know, those those most of that legislation hasn't uh, been finalized and had to be reintroduced this session. So I think there'll be renewed interest in it. And by the way, Ray, I think that's another thing that sort of hurts the Opportunity Scholarship Act is that, you know, if we if we've made some changes, it mm-hmm. is public school choice in different ways and we uh we create some greater accountability in our charter school law and provide um more support for charter schools, administrative supports for sure, uh that, that OSA becomes a less attractive option. But I, I think that I think that we will see charter school legislation
0: this session. Mike, what about you? You think something else? Yeah,
2: more... I, I, th- I I think that the nineteen ninety five charter school law uh, was was based on a series of compromises that 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 worked to get charter schools in place with with the experience that's been earned or gained over the last 15 or 16 years i think there's there are a lot of people on various sides of this issue who who are willing to 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 sit down and talk about it, how we can Redesign the law to address some of the issues that have emerged that, frankly, people hadn't anticipated or hadn't thought through in 1995. So, yeah, I think I think you're going to see a lot of discussion about that, um, and, and we're anxious as well as 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 people on on the the charter school side. I mean, from from our vantage point, charter schools are public schools, and and charter school trustees receive services from our association. And and we view them as as part, as I said, of this educational continuum with traditional schools on one side and 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 the charter schools at the other side and um there needs to be a way to bridge this this, this gap and and talk about a system that includes all these alternatives that provides the best opportunities for all our kids in the state to learn. And ultimately if we can reach some, some closure on a on on a a new piece of legislation that gets us closer to doing that ultimately this is about the kids in schools and and that's what has to be our focus so yeah i think something's going to happen yeah
1: right mike i was just just to to piggyback on that a little bit it's interesting to me a lot of the discussion about changes to the charter school law have has focused on who can authorize them and how do you get into them and uh... You know, whether communities have a say in whether one comes into their district, Um, but, but no one has really discussed, and to me this is the larger point, is how do we improve the articulation between regular district public schools and public charter schools? As Mike said, these right. are these are public schools. In 1995 or 96, when we created when New Jersey created these, they were intended to be laboratories so that we could, you know, try new things with with less restrictions and learn. But you know, 15 years later. Where is that learning? And if, if we're learning things, we need to translate it. You know, there needs to be a greater articulation between what happens in a charter school and if it's good stuff, can we, you know, implement right. those programs in a regular district school? And likewise, district schools have a lot to teach charter schools about about administration and finance. Because early in the law, we've seen a lot of these schools close down because you know it's people with a vision and an idea, but don't necessarily have the the school law or business background. To, to, to run a school and understand how aid comes in and out and uh, and, and how budgets are created. So uh, I think one thing that we should all strive for is some greater articulation. Kids would benefit from that, charter schools would benefit, and public schools would benefit from that.
0: That's probably hard to do because isn't it a competition of resources uh, between the, the host district and the charter school? I mean
1: And that's unfortunate. We've made it that way, but it ought not to be that way. I mean, these are public schools, and we should all be playing on the same field here.
0: Uh, I want to switch uh, gears a little bit um, to an issue that I know that we're going to have some disagreement on. Uh, and the governor brought this up as one of the, the other things in his budget address, and that was tenure reform. Um, Mike, what's the association? Before, I, want, I want to get to Senator uh, ruiz's bill because that's not quite it's a different animal from our perspective but what's the association's perspective on uh tenure reform
2: well it, it, it's not a secret we have long-standing policy that suggests that that tenure as we know it is is eliminated in 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 lieu of five-year renewable contracts which create a a, a, a kind, of kind of a job security but it, it's it's a discussion that that has to be held in the context of the pilot that's making its way through some of our schools now for teacher evaluation. Our belief essentially is that if you have a a substantive teacher evaluation system, uh, this idea of a five-year renewable contract would work. So where we are on the continuum of reforming tenure is way past some of the current discussions. Um, I, I know that there's some issues and the reason why we have tenure has to do with with issues you know politics with a small p at the local level and so on and and I think that um, ultimately our, our our policy is what our policy is and we will continue to advocate for changes that reflect things that our members have adopted from 30 years ago
0: uh, Ginger I, I know this is a big issue for your association and you did make a slight change uh in your policy on it. Um, Are you going to fight hard on these tenure reforms?
1: Sure. You know, NJA came out with its own plan, and our plan was designed to address the problems that the public often raised about tenure. Basically, the public uh, often says that Tenure proceedings take too long and they cost too much. So NJEA's plan attempts to improve the induction process to teaching um, and, it, and, and, and address these things. And it does it by adding a year, and I think this is what you're referring to, Ray, mm-hmm. made changes, uh, adding a year before a staff member can acquire tenure. In other words, we'd move from three years and a day to four years and a day. The first year... That uh, of a teacher's career would become a residency year, where teachers would be provided with additional mentoring and support at a time when they need it most. Um, it's important to note that only two out of every five newly hired certified staff in New Jersey—sorry, two out of five. Newly certified staff in New Jersey do not get tenure in the district where they start. So we already have a pretty rigorous induction process. But, you know, we know uh, NJ has done a lot of studies of what we call early leavers, people who leave the teaching profession within the first five years. And uh, sometimes it's because of the money. If, when better jobs, when more lucrative jobs, I should say, are available, they, uh, they, they sometimes do that. But but regardless of what the economy is like and what the job market is like, we find that these early leavers one of the, the top reasons for them going is because they need more professional support early in their career. The second thing that we would do in our in our tenure proposal is to move tenure cases out of the courts and into the hand of arbitrators whose decisions would be final. And proposal has expedited timelines, and we would make this arbitration binding. In other words, you wouldn't, you'd eliminate all the costly appeals through the courts. I think that goes a long way to addressing some of the concerns, and I know that it's not – It's not everything or perhaps even anything that School Boards Association has uh, in their policy, but I think we can all agree that shorter and cheaper is better.
0: Uh, Before I go on, my follow-up, we have a question from McCall, and we're going back on charter schools. Uh, Jim uh, Jim O'Neill? Great. Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, You have a question on charter schools? Well, I I was concerned about the the willingness to go forward with a lot of charter schools when every study I've seen says up to 83% of charter schools do not perform as well as public schools, even in the same areas. And so why we're not more concerned about putting more rigorous standards before we're going to divert public school money to those charter schools, which have very little evidence except isolated cases of being successful. Uh, I'll put you on hold. Uh, Jim, you can hear their response. Um, Mike, you want to respond? To, uh... Yeah,
2: I'll, I'll go first. I mean, I, I think Ginger hit the nail on the head with the, the discussion of accountability. And, and clearly, in, in the context of, of your question, I think one of the big issues is making sure that the standards of performance of charter schools are equal to the standards of performance for public schools. That being said, I think there's also another issue, and that is um, – this this sort of global we're going to create as many charter schools as as we can scenario has been somewhat mitigated to now um let's look at educational alternatives including charter schools in 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 districts that have very bad track records um and, and i think it, it points to a larger discussion about other things um if 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 students in 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 certain districts aren't aren't consistently performing well by any any measure standard of measurement um, there needs to be a a focus on what's really the problem is is it is it a combination of things are charter schools in and of themselves going to turn this around Um, I don't think there's any evidence that that can be completely the the cure for for issues that that have to do with with a whole variety of other social and economic issues but um i i I don't think that that you should interpret our our suggestion that 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 we want to be engaged in a discussion of of a new charter school law uh, to take it that that we're endorsing. You know, creating charter schools all over the place—that uh, that's not where we are. I think it's important for people in the education establishment to be part of the dialogue in terms of what charter school legislation should look like. In my opinion, one of the biggest impediments to moving forward in a lot of places is this idea of the 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 the, the challenge about losing revenues and losing dollars. Um, I would argue that in, in in a lot of charter schools in, in, that are primarily in urban districts, a, a significant portion of the money that the charter school gets flows. From the state through the district to the charter school, if there was a way to create more of a direct funding stream for charter schools, at least for the state portion, I think that might go a long way towards mitigating some of the some of the concern that's raised. But it, it still begs the question of how you allocate scarce resources between the the traditional public schools and the public charter schools in the same town, and that, that that's a big stumbling block.
0: Ginger, uh, the governor seems to have modified his position because of some of the backlash on in char- from for charter schools in some communities um so w- have you seen notice the same thing
1: uh hard to tell i think that there's been a pretty strong push from the administration and you know uh certainly a lot of um a lot of a lot of public comments about the expansion of charter schools. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know that we've necessarily seen them push back. But in, just to go to what Jim was talking about a moment ago um what i would like to see is a little more discussion about how we can you know monitor and improve quality in charter schools a lot of the discussion is focused on the who authorizes and the money you know let's remember this is a discussion it's about resource resources are always involved but ultimately it's about the education of students and it's our job to educate them wherever they're going to go to school whether it's in a charter school or in a district school
0: all right uh, let's go back to i want to go back to the tenure reform thanks jim for calling um Senator Ruiz has the bill that, at least what I hear, is the one that, if anything's going to move on uh, tenure reform, it would be Senator Ruiz's bill. Um, what, what concerns do you have, Ginger, of that bill? Just one or two. Don't go into the whole bill. It's a big bill and we don't have much time.
1: Sure, uh, absolutely. I would
0: say that we're concerned
1: about the way tenure is acquired. Um, basically, it requires three consecutive eva- effective evaluations. So if uh, administrators could easily always deny you that third consecutive one and keep moving the goalpost on you, you would have employees who could never get tenure. NJA believes that if you don't have tenure, if you, if you haven't earned tenure, and ke- if you can't earn tenure and keep it, then you shouldn't have a job. And her bill would allow people without tenure to continue working in our schools. We don't like that it creates different rules for different staff members we also have a concern about the way tenure can be removed. In other words, it can be removed without providing teacher with the due process protections that make tenure meaningful.
0: Uh, Mike, uh, this uh, the Senator Ruiz's bill has a lot of different variations in how schools are governed, too. Uh, there are some things I assume the association does like about the, the bill. What, what do we like and what do we not like? Just one or two things.
2: No, that that that's the hard. I can talk more about what we don't like. I think I think you know there's there's this this idea that um, school principals are 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 really the the prime movers in in the context of the, of the tenure uh, process. Um, the the more recent iteration of of Senator Reese's bill has some amendments over her original version that that we like, but I think um, the the idea that that there's going to be this Global change in in the way tenure is granted, based on principal recommendations and 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 the the recommendations of school improvement panels, um, it, it, it remains unclear how how much local boards and superintendents, but local boards mostly, will have to say about the hiring and and, and placement of teachers in districts. Um, I guess the, the 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 concern that we have about the legislation. Um, remains the, the 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 mutual consent provision and how that will actually work in in, in real practice. Um, I, I think that it's only going to impact the subset of our districts, but we're we're in the process of doing a, a section by section review of the bill. And like I said before, in the context of tenure reform, we're probably further at the end of the spectrum than anyone else in the in the sense that ideally we wouldn't have tenure as it exists now. We'd have 5 year renewable contracts. Senator Ruiz's bill is is moving in a direction that continues tenure in a slightly different fashion than it works now. And I guess the other big issue we have is that all this stuff is contingent upon a uh, uh, an evaluation methodology that's been approved through the commissioner's office that that will will yield the kind of evaluation data that will make it easy to determine whether whether teachers get, you know, the effective or, or highly effective performance ratings that, that will guarantee that they get tenure or or a, a contract renewal. And we have a ways to go before the, that evaluation system is completely played out.
0: Great. Uh, did did you... Do a show just on this. I, I... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Uh, but let's just say uh, Mike brings up a great point because the – It depends on – you can't have the tenure reform that uh, Senator Ruiz is looking for without the evaluation model that she indicates somewhere in there that she wants. Uh, Is that a concern for the the NJEA, I assume?
1: Uh, We're very clear that – in fact, we think we're sort of doing this backwards, right? I mean, evaluation is the process by which you figure out which teachers aren't measuring up, and you mm-hmm. get them the support that they need. And if, it, if you're able to rehabilitate them and get them in the right direction, then they should remain on your staff. And if not, you should, you know, implement, uh, you know, bring tenure charges and put them through tenure, a fair dismissal process. So really, if you want to improve quality teaching, you need to do evaluation and then do tenure. That's not the situation we're faced with right now. Um, but, and by the way, NJA also has legislation that we're, that we've proposed on evaluation, which I know we don't have time to talk about today.
0: No, no, another day. We'll have another 10-year discussion. Uh, Mike, uh, we're getting towards the end. Um, any final thoughts? on? The, do you think Senator Ruiz's bill is the one that, if there's any movement, it will be there?
2: I, I, I would assume so. I mean, right now she's, she's reintroduced the bill. Um, it hasn't been scheduled for a hearing as of yet. I think the next time the Senate Education Committee meets is technically March the 5th. Whether or not it will be on the agenda that day remains to be seen. I, I don't know that there's consensus in the legislature in, in the context of the Senate on that bill and or if the Assembly is even willing to consider any iterations right now. But, I mean, that's that's something that I, I'm just not privy to. I think uh, there will be definitely be a discussion of tenure reform, and I think Senator Ruiz's bill will most likely be the, the – the focal point of the discussion, whether that bill moves or whether some hybrid moves. We'll see.
0: Okay, thank you. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you, Ginger, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Mike, thanks, as as always, for joining us. Thanks, Ray. And that brings us to the end of another conversation in New Jersey education. And I thank all of you for listening. And I'm sorry I couldn't get to your question, Mark. Bye now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hmm?